Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship. My name is Scott Rains, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's so great to be worshiping with you today. Uh, everybody have their Halloween costume picked out? I, I think I'm going to go as a bandwagon cyclone fan. And yeah, why not? I'll just wear my cyclone sweater vest, and I'll have my kids pull me around the neighborhood in a wagon. Doesn't that sound like a, a good idea? So I'm guessing... Uh, if, if you're a Cyclone fan, who do you go as? Do you go as the coach? Do you go as the linebacker from Ankeny? I mean, there's so many options. Anyway, congratulations, Cyclones. What was the score of the Cyhawk game? Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just a sore loser. Um, so I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of people who dress up as Moana this year for trick-or-treating. Moana was a box office smash last year uh, around the holiday season. I think I read pretty close to three-quarters of a billion dollars is what they brought in at the box office for Disney. Not a bad, like, 60-day run. <laughs> a quarter of a billion. Anyway, three-quarters of a billion. So the scene we just watched is Moana being chosen by the sea and, and given a mission. And I hope you noticed how this happened. How did she get chosen? There's a wave that sort of reaches out toward Moana and lovingly, gently, joyfully, playfully, I think you could almost say that wave, baptizes Moana. And in that moment, she knows who she is. She knows what she was created for. She knows what she is supposed to do with the rest of her life. In that moment, she knows it. But the rest of the movie is about all the ways in which Moana is tempted to doubt or to not believe or to not move into the life that she was chosen to live. Over the last 10 weeks here at Hope, we've been building toward this weekend. Uh, this weekend, we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And throughout the course of uh, these 10 weeks, we've been trying to communicate in as many ways as we possibly can that we believe there is a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit, that God is on the move in our day, just as in Martin Luther's day. There's a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit that's reaching out to all people, that's reaching out to pour love and grace and forgiveness and peace and joy into our lives and, and into our families. There's this wave of the Holy Spirit that is reminding us who we are. We're children of God, that God created us and God created us good. And of course, there's all kinds of things in this life that try to communicate to us something else, that try to cause us to believe something else about who we are. And we are going to be pushed and pulled in all sorts of directions in our life by forces we most of the time don't even understand. And there will be people and there will be circumstances in our life that sometimes intentionally, other times unintentionally, will try to convince us we are not who God says we are. But there remains this one force, this one power that continues to remind us, sometimes in a still small voice, a gentle whisper. Did you read the subtitle when that wave first started up? Ethereal whispering, right? Still small voice, gentle whisper, sometimes in a mighty roar of a giant ocean wave. This force, this power reminds us who we are, gives us our identity. We're children of God. We're dearly loved children of God. It's who we are. When we do baptisms here at Hope, I, if it's an infant baptism, I love to take the child and say, remember 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, see what great love our Heavenly Father has for us, that He calls us children of God. It's who we are. And life gets really messy in a hurry when we forget that love begins and ends with Jesus. 
So this weekend, we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. It's also fifth weekend family worship. And, and what that means, if you're not sure what that means, Hope Kids is our ministry to uh, three-year-olds who are potty trained all the way up to fifth graders. And it happens every weekend, almost every weekend of the year. It happens at every service every weekend. But when there's five weekends in a month, we've decided let's have Hope Kids here in the worship center so they can worship with us, worship with the big kids, you know, that sort of thing. And we never stop and say thank you enough to the volunteers who help out in Hope Kids. So can we just praise God together for the Hope Kids volunteers? Uh, well over 200 kids come through the doors of hope every weekend and our volunteers are do they have to be potty trained too to be volunteers and our our volunteers do an incredible job just helping kids get to know that there is a god who loves them all sorts of things happen in hope kids they worship they sing songs and they dance to the songs vacation bible school songs you know that song a mighty fortress is our god it's to a tune that they used to sing in the pubs when they're drinking beer uh, in Germany. And Martin Luther heard all the people love to sing that song, so he rewrote the lyrics. A mighty fortress is our God. It was a beer drinking song. He redeemed it and used it to become a hymn in the church. What do we do at Vacation Bible School? We take I'm sexy and I know it and turn it into God loves you and I know it. We redeem it and use it for the sake of God's purposes in the world because Martin Luther taught us to. It's who we are. It's what we do as a church. And at Hope Kids, they sing those kinds of songs, and they put together craft projects, and they learn Bible stories, and it's really a fun time. We want it to be a fun time, but that's not the goal. We want them to learn the, the Bible stories and, and Bible verses, but that's not the goal. The goal is by the time they get to fifth grade, they will know there's a God who loves them. That's where it begins and ends. It's for Hope Kids. It's for Power Life, our confirmation ministry. It's for everything we do at this church. The goal is... Do you know there's a God who loves you? So because we have kids in worship with us and families worshiping together and we don't always do that, I thought we would do something uh, a little unusual today as well. So let's all stand up together and I'm going to have you preach this portion of the sermon. <laughs> if you're new, don't worry. We don't always do this, but sometimes we do. Um, and we don't tell you in advance <laughs> when we're doing it. So Maybe your family is a lovey-dovey family. You tell each other you love each other all the time. Maybe your family doesn't do that. Uh, maybe your family is the kind of family when you get to worship, you are just so excited to be here. And kids are saying, thank you, mom and dad, for bringing us to church today. Or maybe your family is normal. <laughs> and they're, you're like mad at each other and you've been pinching and elbowing. And the last thing you want to do is talk to someone in your family right now. So I'll try to make it as easy on you as I can. I, you don't have to talk about anything super spiritual or super deep or anything like that. I just want you to talk about something you love. It could be your favorite sports team. It could be your favorite game on the Xbox. It, it could be pumpkin spice latte. I don't know. Uh, talk about something you love, a book, a movie, a trip that you took. It could be a person. It, you can talk, talk deeply if you want to, but find someone close to you. If you don't know their name, introduce yourself, learn their name, say hi, and then I'll give you about a minute to talk to each other about something you love, which means you have to do some listening too, right? You talk, let them talk. Everyone understand the assignment? Go, talk about something you love. All right, let's call that a minute. Thanks for playing along, everyone. You can be seated. And as you're being seated, before we move too much further into the message, I, I just want to ask you, what's going on inside you when you do that? 
When, when you're talking about something you love, when you're listening to someone talk about something they love, what's going on in your soul, in your spirit, in your heart? Hopefully, it feels good. Hopefully, it's filling you with love and joy and peace. Scripture teaches we love because God first loved us. We love because God first loved us. In, in some families, maybe a child will say to a parent, I love you, and the parent will respond, I love you too. And the child will say, I love you more. And the parent will say, no, I love you more. And there's this kind of game that goes along with that. Sometimes people who are in dating relationships or engaged or people who've been married for 20 years or more are playing this sort of thing. <laughs> or maybe not. Uh, anyway, <laughs> what if you were to have that kind of conversation with God? And you were to say to God, I love you. What's God's response? God would say, he could say, I love you more, right? It would be true. I think God's probably too humble and kind to actually do that. When we say to God, I love you, I think God's response is, I loved you first. I loved you first. We love because God first loved us. Or, as Jesus says, you did not choose me. I chose you. I chose you. I loved you first. I said yes to you before you could even think about saying yes to me or understand what that might mean. So at the end of the worship service today, we're going to give you the opportunity uh, to be confirmed. If you grew up in a Lutheran church or a church that had a confirmation as part of its ministry, um, you know what we're talking about with confirmation. Confirmation is maybe a class that you went to when you were a, a teenager, middle school, maybe high school. Everybody does it a little bit differently, maybe for one year, maybe for three years or somewhere in between. And you learned about things like the Apostles' Creed and the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer. And if you were Lutheran, you studied Luther's small catechism. And at the end of that time, at the end of that time, you had the opportunity to be confirmed, which meant you had to stand up in front of the entire congregation. And for some of you, you had to answer questions while your parents watched and the uh, pastor watched and the elders or the church council or the whole congregation just grilled you on, did you know enough to get confirmed? And so for some of you, when you just say the word confirmation like this, icy cold chill goes up the back of your, you know, it's like, ah, nightmares, confirmation is horrible. And it's easy to see why, for some people, a process like that would feel kind of scary. And I think if we're honest, if we're honest, it's easy to see why a process like that might unintentionally communicate some really bad ideas about who God is. Like, oh, I, I get how this works. In order for God to love me, I have to earn God's love. In order for God to love me, I have to prove that I deserve God's love by answering enough questions questions on some test. And so just so you know, uh, at this church, at Hope, that's not what confirmation is about. We love because God first loved us. God said yes to us. God chose us. One way of thinking about it is baptism is God saying yes to us. I created you. I created you good. I'm saying yes to you. That's what baptism is all about. And then confirmation, confirmation is saying yes to God. So we get baptized, a lot of people, as infants in the Lutheran world. And then when they're 13, 14 years old in eighth grade, they have an opportunity to reaffirm their baptism. That's what we technically call confirmation. But what happens is when we say yes to God, 
When we say, yes, I've, I've felt that love, I've experienced that love, I know that love, it fills us to overflowing. And God's love does something inside us. God loves confirms in our spirit, in our soul, and it unites with the Holy Spirit to tell us we are children of God. This is who we are. We're beloved children of God. So baptism is God saying yes to us. Confirmation is saying yes to God. We love because God first loved us. Now, think about Moana. What, what did Moana do to earn this chosen life that the sea had for her? She didn't do anything. Somebody said to me last night, yeah, she, did. she saved the turtle. Yeah. She didn't do anything. The sea chose her. And the same is true when it comes to our faith. What do we do to earn and to deserve God saying yes to us? Absolutely nothing. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing anybody can do to earn or to deserve God's love. Not Abraham, not Moses, not Esther, not Mary, the mother of Jesus, not the disciples, not the great men and women of faith throughout church history, not you and not me. Baptism is God saying yes to us. Confirmation is saying yes to God. What God has already done for us. You didn't choose me. I chose you. So Moana gets chosen it gives her an identity, but it also gives her a life to live. And the same is true for you and me. We'll put this verse up on the screen, John 15, verse 16. Let's read this out loud together. Read it with me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So Jesus chooses us, gives us an identity, and then he gives us a life to live. And that life that we live is supposed to lead to producing lasting fruit. But what in the world is he talking about there? It actually comes right out of our passage of Scripture that's been our, our theme, our guide this year at Hope. Our theme is to know and to be known. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 13. So as I read this, see if you hear Paul saying anything that we might say, oh, that's what Jesus means by lasting fruit. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely, to know and to be known. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what, church? The greatest of these is love. I've chosen you, and I've given you a life, a life that you live that will end up producing lasting fruit. What is it that lasts? Three things. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Do you know? Do you believe? Do you trust? A God who is love has said yes to you. A God who is love has chosen you, has created you and created you good. Yes, you do some things that are not good, but you are good. Yes, you make mistakes, but you are not a mistake. God has chosen you. God has said yes to you. And that's what faith is all about. Do I trust that? Do I believe that? And some of you are like, I know that's what I'm supposed to believe. I, I know that's what I'm supposed to think. And I maybe even want to believe that. But maybe some of you are like, I used to believe it. And then life happened. Some hurt and pain some deep sorrow, sadness, loss. 
and then there's big questions and there's confusion and doubt and everything that I used to know with certainty, everything that I used to see with perfect clarity, now it's cloudy, it's muddy, it's dark. And the longer I live, the more convinced I become this is, this is the story of humanity and it is a common story for all of us. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus says. Yes, God created everything and God called it good. And we experience a lot of good things in this life, don't we? But none of us can escape hurt, pain, suffering, sorrow. None of us. We're all going to experience it and go through it. So in Jesus' day, they were trying to answer the question, why? Why do we have all these bad things in life? And the way they tried to make sense of it ended up being a misunderstanding and a distortion of who God is. In Jesus' day, what people understood to be true about God is that God is this taskmaster and a brutal one at that. And so God gives all these rules, laws, commandments that God wants us to follow. But really, God's secretly hoping that we're not going to be able to follow God's commandments. So then God can punish us. That's who God is. And so the whole goal of life is to try to be good enough that God's not going to punish us. It, it, let me maybe explain it this way. In Jesus' day, if someone would have asked the question, a question that's very common in our day, why do bad things happen to good people? In Jesus' day, you would have got a confused look, and the answer would have been, they don't. Bad things don't happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. And so if you're experiencing anything that's not good in your life, it's your fault. If you are sick, if you have an illness, if you have a disease, or if your kids do, what sin did they or the parents commit that they're born blind? Jesus has a whole conversation about this one time. If you're poor, just getting what you deserve. God's giving you what you deserve because you haven't been able to be good enough to be faithful enough. This is what people understood to be true about God because it's what they were taught. The most prestigious, well-respected people in Jesus' day were the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. They knew who God was because they knew the scriptures better than everybody else. And this is what they taught everyone in Jesus' day to believe, to understand this is the beginning and any place, ending place with God. God is angry and punishing and vindictive. And then Jesus showed up. And Jesus completely changed everything. And Jesus said to anyone who would listen to him, the Pharisees and teachers of religious law are wrong. Don't believe them. Jesus taught something completely different about who God is, about how faith works. Jesus taught something completely different around what is a blessed life, what is a cursed life. And some people liked Jesus' message. It felt like good news to them. And some people didn't like it. As you can imagine, the Pharisees and teachers of religious law, they did not like Jesus' message. They wanted to get rid of this guy because he kept pointing at them and saying, don't listen to them, they're wrong. They wanted to arrest Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. There's this one guy, one of the Pharisees. His name is Nicodemus. And as he watches Jesus, as he listens to Jesus, something inside Nicodemus wants to say yes to Jesus. Open your Bibles, if you would, John chapter 3. One of the places where Nicodemus shows up. I'll start reading in verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. 
A lot of times when we're reading scripture, we're looking for these, you know, grand principles or, or themes, and, and that's good, and that's okay, but there are details in Scripture that are important, and if we just kind of skip over the details looking for these big themes, we miss out a big part of what God's trying to communicate to us. There's a reason John, the author of the Gospel of John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, there's a reason John says it's after dark one evening when Nicodemus, the Pharisee, comes to see Jesus. What might that reason be? All kinds of possibilities. Might one of the reasons be because Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's part of this group of people who hate Jesus. And he did not think it was safe for him to be seen with Jesus. So he wants to go after dark when there's a better chance nobody's going to see him. It's what feels safe to him. I actually think this verse is a picture of the kind of church we want to be here at Hope. I try to say as often as I can, we built this church to be a safe place for people to ask the big questions that they have about life and faith. And, and part of what that means is we have people stumbling into this church on a regular basis who are in a season of sadness, uh, who have been wounded for whatever reason by life or maybe even by the church where they used to go. And they find their way into hope because they, they want to connect with God in worship. They just don't want to have to see anybody else or talk to anybody else. And so they sneak in and they sit at the back. Not that that's you if you're sitting at the back today, uh, but maybe it is. And they hope, I hope the pastor doesn't make me stand up and talk to somebody today, right? And maybe you cry a little bit and then you sneak out during the last song hoping you don't have to talk to anybody. And if that's you, I just want you to know that's okay. We built this church for you. We want you to feel safe. If that's the season you are in, be in that season. And we're not going to, Scripture says there's a season for everything. It's a time for everything, a season for everything. So come and sit and let God heal you. And also know that seasons change. And when you find yourself in God's timing in a different season, a new season, we just want you to know we're really looking forward to getting to know your story and helping you know that you belong here, and there are places where you can connect here. Nicodemus goes to Jesus after dark because that's what feels safe. And he starts kind of buttering Jesus up, talking to Jesus about how great Jesus is, what an awesome teacher he is, all, all these miracles that Jesus does. And you would maybe expect Jesus' response to be, thank you for the kind words, Nick. But that's not how Jesus responds. Verse 3. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What? What does that have to do with anything? Why? Nicodemus is confused by what Jesus says there. We are confused by what Jesus says there. What's this born again stuff? And so Jesus tries to explain it. Verse 5, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life. Again, can we just pause there for a second? Can we talk about Jesus being this great teacher and so full of wisdom? Jesus says humans can reproduce only human life. Duh. What? It's like, so do you ever hear people talking to a woman who's pregnant and they'll say to her, do you know what you're having? And I know they're talking about gender, right? Are you having a boy human or a girl human? But the way it gets asked, if I was a pregnant woman, <laughs> which I'm not. 
I, I think I would probably say, well, we don't really know, but we've been hoping for a zebra. What do you mean? Do you know what you're having? Ask better questions, people. Come on. So, sorry, that wasn't in the notes. Uh, Jesus says humans can reproduce only human life. Duh. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. That should be just as obvious to us. The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Jesus wants us to be reborn, to experience new birth, new beginning, fresh start. So part of what Jesus is saying is we need to die to our old way of life. It's like there's a, a line in the sand and on one side of it is our old life, our old ways of relating and how's that going for you? A whole lot of hurt, a whole lot of pain in your life because of that. And Jesus says, let's die to that and let's be reborn into a whole new way of thinking about God and understanding God and relating to the people in our life. And the other thing that I noticed this week, you know, birth is this happy thing. Birth is this, oh, wonderful thing. Everybody loves new babies. And what, you know what scripture teaches us about birth? It's painful. Always pain before a child is born. In the physical sense, it's also true in a spiritual sense. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he's buttering him up and talking about miracles. We all love miracles, and we all love healing, but we forget, guess what has to happen first before there's a healing? Injury, hurt, pain. A big part of what it means to be reborn is that we get honest, we get real, we embrace the pain in our lives that has messed things up so that God can create a new birth. God can provide the healing that's needed. Back to the story, verse 7. Jesus says to Nicodemus, So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. 500 years ago, a, a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit blew across, swept across Western Europe, and the Reformation began. And it was a revival, and, and all of a sudden, new life started springing up everywhere in, in all sorts of ways and in all sorts of unexpected places. It was a revival that took a church that was corrupt and dying and filled with decay and death and it brought about resurrection it brought about new life it, it changed the world and maybe some of you are here today and that would be a pretty good description of your life a whole lot of corruption a whole lot of decay it's just rotten it seems like everywhere you go it doesn't work it's failure after failure it's death and you walked into church today hoping for some good news hoping for a fresh start listen Listen to the wind. Listen to the waves. There's someone who can control the wind and the waves, who has the power to do that. And he's here for you. Maybe you stumbled into church and you were hoping for some kind of victory over the evil things in life that have its claws and just have a grip in you, a hold on you, and you want something to defeat that because you can't do it yourself. And, and the way that works in you, it causes you to not believe 
that you are who God says you are. It's time for a rebirth. Breathe in the Spirit. Ride the wave. Maybe some of you wandered into church today just completely overwhelmed. Your life is spiraling out of control because of all sorts of reasons. Maybe you're parents of young kids and you walked in and you forgot. There's no hope, kids. And you're like, are you kidding me? I just need a break. I just need a chance to breathe. Do it. Breathe. Breathe in. It's not just a video on a wall. It's not just sound coming through speaker system. It's revival. God is breathing a fresh wave of the Holy Spirit for you. And when God breathes, when God sends this wave of the Holy Spirit, good things happen. Tombs that are filled with dead and rotting corpses suddenly experience resurrection and new life. They become empty tombs. When God breathes, eyes that are blind are suddenly opened. Ears that cannot hear are suddenly opened. Prisoners are set free. That's what God wants to do for you. That's what God wants to give you. Cross that line. Say yes to God. God has already said yes to you. What is holding you back from saying yes to God and to his love and to his grace? You want to know what was holding Moana back? Her parents. She's chosen by the sea, but her parents, they think it's love. They, they think they're protecting her. They think they're helping her. They're really not allowing her to be who she was chosen to be. They want to keep her from the sea, but the sea keeps calling to her. The sea keeps calling to her. Cross that line. Cross that line. Take that step of faith. Follow me. Take a look. Stupid Disney animated movies make grown people cry. What's beyond that line? Will I cross that line? You walked into worship today. Hopefully you received a small wooden cross. It's what we give to eighth graders at the end of Power Life, at the end of Confirmation here at Hope. And uh, today we're going to give you the opportunity to be confirmed. So I want to ask everyone to stand up. Let's all stand up. And some of you have already been confirmed. Um, we're born again and again and again. The line is not a finish line. It's always a starting line new start, fresh start. What's the next step for you? Sometimes it's a first step. So that this might be a first step for some of you to profess your faith, to say yes to God, to cross that line. There's always a next step of growth and transformation for us. And some of you aren't ready to take even that first step. And that's fine. I want you to keep this wooden cross as a reminder that God has already said yes to you. It's just a matter of time. And maybe you'll throw it somewhere in your room and you'll find it in a couple of years right when you need it as a reminder that God loves you and God has said yes to you and that'll be the time when you say yes to God. But for those of you who are ready to say yes today for the first time or for the next time, let's have some confirmation. I'll be the leader, you be the all. First thing we do is we die to our old life. We renounce the devil, we spit on the devil don't want to have anything to do with you. And that's what this is all about. Do you renounce the devil and all the forces that defy God? Do you renounce the powers of this world that rebel against God? 
Do you renounce the ways of sin that draw you from God? So that's dying to our old life. This is the rebirth. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? God the Holy Spirit. You've made public profession of your faith. Do you intend to continue in the covenant God made with you in holy baptism, to live among God's faithful people, to hear the word of God and share the Lord's Supper, to proclaim the good news of God in Christ through word and deed, to serve all people, following the example of Jesus, and to strive for justice and peace in all the earth? And God promises to help you. And just take a look around this room. You're not alone. We're not meant to live this life of faith on our own, but in community as part of the body of Christ. There's help for you. There's hope for you. If you spoke those words with faith for the first time, man, welcome aboard. It's pretty awesome to be the church. And we would love to talk to you about next steps. There's always next steps, so reach out. Let us know. 